past four weeks, I've been looking at what I've called the great questions of life, and I know I haven't dealt with all the great questions of life, but um, we have dealt with three, oh, well, four of them up to this point, very important, and I won't review all of that. Uh, you can go on our website and can pick up those uh, messages if you missed them. They're offered for you free through podcasts, and you can you can uh, go onto our website and check that out if you're interested in that. Today, I would like to wrap up this series on the great questions of life about talking or by talking about eternity, about what's next for us. Ecclesiastes chapter three verse eleven says that God has made everything beautiful for its own time, and He has planted eternity in the human heart. And so what that scripture is telling us is that God has given to us an incredible gift. And that gift is an inner sense of eternity. Most of us can sense that within our lives. We can sense that this life is not all there is. We talk about it being in your heart. We know that it's not in your literal heart. But, but in that inner part of your being, most people can sense that there is something there that is beyond just the natural. That is a gift that God has given to us according to Ecclesiastes 3. He planted this sense of eternity in the human heart, a sense that this life is not all that there is and that we are destined to exist forever. We will exist forever. Now, it is for sure some people have really suppressed that. They, they sense it, they feel it, but they suppress it so they don't follow it. Some people have even gone so far as to deny the reality of that sense of eternity. But when, when we look at the polls of Americans today, even in secular America, the vast majority of people believe in eternity. They believe that this life is not all there is, that there is life after physical death. But what does the Bible say about this subject? Well, obviously, the Bible agrees that there is life after physical death. In fact, I was kind of thinking about it, if there is no life after physical death, then there would be no need for the Bible. Because, yes, the Bible gives us clear guidelines on how to live successfully in the here and now, but primarily... The number one thing, at its core, what the Bible is trying to communicate to you is the reality of something called eternity. That this life is not all there is, but that this life is preparation for a life that is to come. So eternity is the primary focus of the Bible and its teachings. So if that is true, what is it that the Bible teaches us about eternity. If, if you bring it down to just a couple of thoughts, it would be, for, to me, these two thoughts. And this is not deep, but it's true. It would be teaching us that, first of all, there is life, there is eternity with God, and secondly, there is eternity without God. Those are the two things that are taught to us uh, and both of those truths have, have um, huge implications on us and on our lives. And so I want us to look at those two things uh, briefly this morning and, and just talk about them for a moment. Uh, first of all, eternity with God. 
Many scriptures give us insight into eternity with God. Where those who know God, those who have received forgiveness of their sins, will spend eternity. Scriptures give us insight into what it will be to be with God. Revelation 7, 16 and 17 is just one of those scriptures. And it says, they will never again be hungry or thirsty. They'll never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them into springs of life-giving water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now there's a word that we use in our culture to describe what is being defined right here, what is being characterized by right here, and that word would simply be heaven. It's talking about what is, what is eternity with God? Eternity with God is heaven. And it's interesting when you talk to this vast majority of people who believe in eternity in American culture, who say, yeah, we believe that this, there's life after death. When you talk to them further and say, do you believe in eternity uh, in a place called heaven? They will say, yes, I believe that part of eternity is heaven. And also when you talk with them further, they'll say they believe that they qualify to get there. Most people who believe in eternity, believe in heaven, and they believe they're going there. Well, now that's not hard to understand because who wouldn't want to go to a place where there's no pain and there's no suffering and there's no tears as we just read about? Who wouldn't go, want to go to a place where you're never thirsty or, or hungry again, where there's, you're never going through troubles anymore like we experience on earth? There'll be no IRS there, hallelujah. Um, and, and on with a thousand other uh, issues that we deal with daily in, in life in, in American culture. Jesus said that heaven is a very real place and that he was preparing for it and he was preparing it for our arrival. It's a prepared place for us. In John 14, 2 and 3, he called heaven his father's house. And this is what he said. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place or a room for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So this scripture here in John 14, the scripture I already read in Revelation, teach us that heaven will be, first of all, a painless place. If you're in pain right now, I want you to know that's a temporary assignment. The day is coming. If you know Christ as Savior, you're going to be pain-free in every aspect, in every part of your body, pain-free. It is a prepared place. I've already talked about that. And it's, it's going to be a populated place. There are going to be multitudes upon multitudes of every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue from all over the world. We're going to be gathered at the throne of the land giving worship and honor and adoration to the one who made it all possible for us to take our black hearts and be cleansed and washed by his red blood and turned white in his eyes. But heaven is also described as a place beyond our comprehension here on earth. In other words, you won't believe what you see when you get there. I have a feeling that the number one word 
When we stand, when we get to heaven the first time, I have a feeling the number one word will be wow. And the neat thing about wow is it's pronounced the same front word or backward. Wow. Wow. Some of you might might know the name Kara Tippett's. Kara um, was the wife of a man by the name of John Tippetts, who is the pastor of Westside Presbyterian Church in Colorado Springs. And Kara's battle with breast cancer became kind of a, a well-known um, issue through her blogging, especially in Christian circles. And there were a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, people who connected to her through a blog called Mundane Faithfulness. In other words, just being faithful through it all. But she became most prominently known, at least throughout the broader culture of America, through a letter that she wrote to a gal by the name of Brittany Maynard. Maybe you remember her. The letter was written last fall as an encouragement to Brittany not to commit physician-assisted suicide in dealing with her terminal cancer. And the fact that she was going to do that, that she was moving from California to Oregon where it's, where it's legal, became kind of a national thing. And everybody heard about uh, the fact that Brittany was going to take her life on such and such a day in, in November of last year, which she did, by the way, end up doing. She took her own life. Kara had written her a letter virtually begging her not to do that and talking to her about her value before God, even in the midst of all of this cancer. Obviously, Brittany decided not to pay attention, and she went ahead with her own, her own demise. Last Sunday, March 22nd, Kara stepped into heaven herself. She went home to be with Jesus, leaving behind her husband, a loving congregation, and four beautiful children. It's hard to understand these things. There are no simple answers to these kinds of questions. We talked about it a little bit last week and the message, why do bad things happen to good people? But um, in her final blog, one of her final blogs, if it wasn't an exact final blog, it was one of her final blogs before her death, she wrote about heaven so insightfully. And this is what she said, those who can't those who can't walk on this earth will run in heaven. Bodies that are riddled with cancer will be perfect and strong in heaven. Mental illness will be wiped away. Minds broken by Alzheimer's will be restored. When I read that this morning, there was a gentleman sitting on the front row right down over here who had just lost his wife I don't know, maybe a month or two ago from cancer and Alzheimer's. And when I read that part, he started weeping. I almost started weeping with him. I could hardly get, make it through the remainder of the reading. But she goes on and says, no one will be tormented by hormones or headaches. We will have no fears. Nothing bad will reach us. We will never slip going downstairs or fall off ladders. That's not really on there, I just added that. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I fell off a ladder a few years ago. She says, we'll never trip over our shoelaces. We won't step in dog dew. 
or become nauseated by a passing skunk. <laughs> we won't see animal carcasses on the side of the road or ever have to see a loved one in a hospital attached to machines. We will be healed from abuse of all kinds without a single scar. That's what heaven's going to be like. Kara is today enjoying healing from the cancer that struck her body. And she's enjoying that healing in a place called heaven. That's why, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So what's next? If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, and by that I mean you've accepted him as your Savior. You don't just know about him, but you've accepted him into your life. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior and you have asked him to forgive you of your sins and to become not only your Savior, but your Lord, which means he is your boss. He controls. He calls the shots. If you have made that decision, the Bible says you have been born again. Not born of the flesh, but born spiritually this time. And if that has happened to your life, what's next for you? I don't mean what's next after you leave this service. I don't mean what's next in your career. I'm talking about what's next for you when you step off of this planet. When you step off of this planet, there is life that continues. And for you who know Christ, your next step is your heaven step. Hallelujah. It's eternity with God. But, but the scripture also very clearly tell us that there's another possible next step, a next place, another place. And it's eternity without God. It's, it's not very politically correct in our culture today to talk about this. Most people only know this word in terms of of cursing, but it doesn't make it any less real because we have diminished it to such vulgar terms. Eternity without God is called in the Bible hell, and it is a real place. In fact, the reality of hell is talked about in the scriptures over and over and over again. I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he ever did about heaven? And I wondered to myself, why would he talk more about hell than heaven? I believe it's because he wanted people to know it's real. And he wanted them to avoid it at all costs. Don't let anything take you to hell. Don't let anything qualify you for hell. The reality is it's a real place and you need to know that to avoid it. Listen to just a few of Jesus' words. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, poke it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to end up where? In hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off and throw it away. Why? Because it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into where? Hell. Now listen, Jesus is not some sort of a, 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 of a strange, ma uh, 
maniac that wants to chop people's hands off and gouge people's eyes out. That's not what he's advocating here. Jesus is saying here, in effect, don't let anything come between you and God. If somehow your eye is between you and God, get rid of it because it's better to enter heaven with only one eye than it is hell with two eyes. And if somehow or other your hand is, is between you and God, that's ridiculous, I know, but if somehow your hand is causing you to stay away from, from God, whatever it takes, get rid of the hand if you have to. Nothing is worth going to hell for. That's what he's saying. Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of people. They can kill you, but they cannot harm your soul. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Instead, you should fear God who can destroy both your body and your soul. Where? In hell. Matthew 11. People of Capernaum, do you think you will be honored in heaven? Boy, aren't there a lot of people who think that they've got it all together and God's going to dishonor them in their lives? Do you think you're going to be honored in heaven? You will go down to hell because if the miracles that took place in you in your town had happened in Sodom, that town would still be standing today. One last verse, we could go on and on. Matthew 23, 33, Jesus said this to Jewish religious rulers, the Pharisees. He said, you are nothing but snakes and the children of snakes. You ever wonder why they got mad at him? There you are. And then he says, how can you escape going to hell. So just like heaven, hell is a very real place. But it, it, immediately thoughts came to my mind, questions. If hell is real, why does it exist? And what is it like? And most importantly, who's going to go there? So let's look at how the Bible answers those questions. First of all, why does hell exist? You need to understand that originally there was no hell. When God created the heavens and the earth, there's one word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 about everything that he creates, and that word is good. It was good. He did not create hell. It was not a part of his original creation when he created the heavens and the earth. Why does hell exist today? Well, when Lucifer, who is now called Satan or the devil, when he led one-third of the angels to join him in a rebellion against God in an effort to take over, when that pride filled their hearts, the rebel which led to their rebellion against God, and they were defeated, hell was then created as a consequence to their actions. Actions always have consequences. Never forget that. Some of those are earthly, some of them are eternal. These were eternal consequences. Hell was created as a place for Satan and those rebellious angels. Now we call them demons. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why it was created in the first place. But God never wanted any of us to go to, go to hell. So what in the world happened that 
qualifies people. What changed things? Simple. When mankind joined the rebellion, when we joined the rebellion by giving in to sin and choosing who would be our master and our Lord, which was not God, sin, sin made eternity without God a possibility. Because when we sinned, we were made objects of God's judgment too, just like Satan and the demons. So today, hell is the home, the holding compartment of Satan, of, of his demons, and one of these days they're going to be bound forever. But also of sinful, rebellious humanity. God never intended it. God never wanted it. God didn't want Lucifer to rebel. God didn't want a third of the angels to rebel. God didn't want you to rebel. He didn't want me to rebel. But when we did that, it qualified us for judgment. And that judgment in the Bible is called hell. Well, what is hell like? Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here it says, When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven... He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God. See, you, there's this popular thing out there that says God is love. All he does is love. Everything's love, 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 love. I don't know what you do with scriptures like that. I guess people who believe that there's just love, that there's no, no discipline, no judgment, they just rip those scriptures out and say, well, we won't pay attention to those. But he's going to come back and administer judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. So that scripture teaches us uh, several things about what hell is like. First of all, it describes hell as a place of punishment and judgment. It's a place of punishment and judgment. Look again at verse number 9. It says, they will be punished. So it's punishment here. You know, I, a, a number of years ago, I witnessed to a friend of mine who was an unbeliever. And in sharing Christ with him, I felt compelled to tell him that there is a real place called hell. And his response to me is so classic in secular American culture today. This is what he said to me. He said, well, if I go to hell... All my friends are going to be there too, and we'll just have one big party down there. I want, to, I want you to understand that hell will be no party. Jesus told us about a rich man and a beggar by the name of Lazarus. doesn't give the rich man's name. He was just rich. The beggar's name was Lazarus. And both of these men died. And Jesus said that Lazarus went to heaven, but the rich man went to hell. And this is what Jesus described in Luke 16, 23. Speaking of the rich man, he says, There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The point I'm trying to get to you is the, is the word torment. They, he was there in torment. It's not party time. It's not pop one for me. It's not shoot up one more time. It's going to be torment. Hell will be a place of incredible torment. And I believe incredible regret. 
will be one of the greatest emotions of hell. Secondly, the scripture teaches us that hell is eternal. Again, verse 9, they will be punished with eternal destruction. There's some teaching out there that says there is hell, there is punishment, but it's not eternal. Once it's over, it's over. But scripture does not, does not endorse that, does not support that. It is an eternal punishment. So when we talk about what hell is like, we're talking about a place of torment, of punishment, of eternal punishment. Number three, who is going to go there? Revelation 20, 15 makes it clear that anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. How do you get your name recorded in the book of life? Do you join a church? Is there a church that you join? Is there money, so much money that you buy it? No. Jesus paid the price. You don't have to pay for anything. What you do have to do is accept him as Savior. And when you do that, your name is written in the book of life. The Bible says that you and I were created with a, a, with a freedom to make our own choices. And you all know that to be true. You can do what you want with your life. You have the choice. You want to make something out of your life, you can give that your best effort. If you, if you don't want to do anything with your life, you can do that. If you want to take your own life, you can do that. You have been given the freedom to do what you want within the confines of your capabilities. You have been get the freedom to make choices. God gave you that. But what he didn't give you or me is the freedom to choose the consequences of our choices. He did not give you the freedom to choose the consequences of your choices. Those consequences are in stone. They're written in granite. They're not going to change. Not going to change for you. Not going to change for me. They're not going to change for anybody. It's the same for all of us. There are consequences to our choices. Those consequences can be good or they can be bad, depending on what the choice is. That's just the way it is. So God gave us the ability to choose what we do, but not the consequences of our actions. Now, he gave us the freedom to choose because he didn't want to fo force us to love him. Uh, and we understand that. He wanted us to want to love him because anybody, you can't force people to love you, right? You can't be forced to love anyone. You can be forced to go through the actions that pretend love, but you can't really be forced to love someone. And so God didn't want you to be forced to go through any particular actions to pretend to love him. He wanted you to actually love him deeply because of what he's done. And what has he done? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he's done for you. That's how much he loves you.
but he wants you to love him back voluntarily because love that's not given voluntarily is no love at all. And so if we are forced to love God, we are nothing more than spiritual robots. And God's not interested in that. I have this program on my computer. It's a silly program. Somebody introduced it to me years ago. It's called Al Morale. Al Morale. And um, it's a program that has one purpose, and that purpose is to encourage me. So if I'm ever feeling down or whatever, I click on Al Morale, and it tells me that my ideas are great. <laughs> it does. It tells me that my jokes are hilarious. And best of all, honey, it tells me that I look smashing. <laughs> That's the word it uses. You look smashing today. Well, the problem with Al Morale is that it's just a computer program. Al doesn't know me or my ideas. He didn't hear the joke. He doesn't know my jokes. He doesn't know what I look like. He's just programmed to say those things to me when I click on, all right? So really, they don't mean anything. But when Carrie affirms me, oh, that excites me. When Carrie tells me I did a good job, that means something to me because she's not required to say that to me. If she says something affirming to me, it's purely because she wants the 10 bucks. No, um, it's, it's purely because of, of the goodness from her heart. She wants to do that because she loves me from her heart. And that makes all the difference in the world. So Al Morrell means nothing, but Carrie means everything. God didn't create you to have to love him. He gave you a free will to choose to love him. But here's the problem. If you choose not to love him, it puts you back in the company of those who are under the judgment of God. Because God's holiness will not coexist with man's sinfulness, at least not for eternity. He'll put up with it for a while. He'll draw you and work with you, and he's patient. But the scriptures clearly say that God will not tolerate our sin forever. And so God, we, it puts us in a position of great risk eternally when we decide that we're going to go our own way and live our own way and not respond to God's love. But it doesn't have to be that way. All you have to do is open your heart to Jesus and to invite him to come into your heart and to clean up the garbage, all the garbage that your rebellion has caused you, or to put it another way, to forgive you of your sin. And if you do that, the Bible says that Jesus will forgive you and he will heal your soul and he will heal your heart, and he will save you. And hell will become history. So God is offering to every single one of us in this building this morning a gift. And that gift is called eternal life. But just like with any gift, you have to receive it for it to do you any good. 
a gift offered that's not received does you absolutely no good. But if you are ready to make that decision today, if you are ready to receive that gift, you can do it today. You say, what church do I have to join? You don't have to join any church. You don't have to pay any money. What you do have to do is accept the gift. Here at Live Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to LifeChurchUtah.com.